Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Well, earlier this week, uh, we spoke to Hal Salem, who's a chairperson from the Squamish First Nation Council. We talked about the community's focus on taking control of, of its education system and the challenges to public safety that they're seeing on reserve land. We also spent some time talking about Sinoc. Now, the Sinoc development is quite unique in North America, and that's being built on land that is... Um, been designated First Nations Reserve after the Squamish uh, Nation won a historic settlement in 2002. Uh, the land was uh, taken away uh, from the Squamish First Nations people in 1913. Now, look, the, the, the specific site is located on the south side of the Broad Street Bridge. Once completed over four phases, it'll be home to 6,000 apartments and 10,000 people packed over uh, 10 acres or so. Now, critics say because it's on First Nations land, there isn't the usual uh, public uh, consultation required. Uh, if you look at some of the uh, images that have been released over the last year and a half or so, people have, and critics have called it Hong Kong-style towers that will forever change the uh, skyline um, of the area and downtown. They said that oh, no studies have been uh, have been shown. And the biggest challenge many folks have said is, look, you got all those people moving in uh, to these four, over these four phases, and yet there are just over 800 spaces for cars and about 4,400 spaces for bike parking. And that is it. And the repercussions are not just for that land, but for the surrounding uh, community of Vancouver. This is a Squamish Nation development. That is their land. They do not need to technically consult with the city, although they are talking to them, and with the broader community as well. Hal Salem was on the show two days ago. He asked for an update on the Sinoc development. Take a listen. We're well underway on construction of phase one. So a lot of the ground disturbance and movement of the earth has happened. Um, we're about to enter into construction on phase two out of four. Um, we'll be going to tender on most of the prime contracts soon for, uh, soon for that. While that's happening, we're also completing work on the design, final designs for phase three and four, and then eventually uh, working towards uh, construction on those. So a lot of infrastructure construction at this point, but not any cranes or anything like that yet. We have to build in all the sewage and hydro uh, utilities. Separate from that process, the city of Vancouver in the spring will also be launching their own engagement process with the wider community and the neighboring communities around all of the infrastructure changes that will be coming to the neighborhood. That's Hal Salem, who's the chairperson of the Squamish First Nation. Now, I also happened to talk to Pierre Paulia, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, and we were talking broadly about uh, housing affordability. He did bring up the issue of the Squamish First Nation and what they're doing doing uh, on those lands and what he hoped to do as a federal uh, one day as a prime minister of this country. Take a listen to what he had to say. Well, because we know that build it, we can build quickly when we get the government gatekeepers out of the way. And you know who proved it? The Squamish people. They have a big, I'm sorry, it's not a big piece of land. It's a 10 acre piece of land in which they approved 6,000 units of housing and they're getting it built in record time. Now, why were they able to get it done so fast? Because they didn't have to deal with City Hall. It's their land. They've demonstrated that if you get the bureaucrats out of the way, the mm-hmm. building can happen. And we'll be speaking to Hell Salem today at 5 o'clock just on that Sinoc pro- project uh, that uh, Mr. Polyev had mentioned. Let's talk about drug decriminalization. Congratulate him for me. Congratulate <laughs> him for me. That's 
What we need to do is what they've done. We need to do that everywhere. Think about this. They're building 600 units of housing on each acre. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, and it think is. Of all the wonderful families that are going to be able to enjoy those those units because of their foresight. That is, of course, Conservative leader Pierre Pauly of the other day uh, talking about what the Squamish have been proposing. Now, it will change that skyline. And when you look at the models, when you look at the images, they it, it is a Hong Kong-style uh, skyscrapers that will change the look and feel of that neighbourhood as well. Joining me now to talk about Sinoc and its impact on the city is Gordon Price. He's a fellow with the SFU Centre for Dialogue and editor with View, uh, Viewpoint Vancouver. He is also a former city councillor as well. Gordon, thank you for joining us. Hey, Jazz, you know how much ex-politicians like a little airtime. <laughs> well, you're also, uh, uh, like I said, uh, been uh, you know quite involved in the issue of uh, development and yeah. housing in the city of Vancouver. Hey, Jazz, I'm office. a resident of the West End. That, that and, too. And I remember them saying it was like Hong Kong back in the 60s. Yeah, well, you tell me, do you think this is a good project for the city? Oh, it's an amazing project. It's groundbreaking, (laughs) literally, of course, but not just in terms of the significance of how this will be such an economic development project for for the Squamish and a a precedent, you know, across for all Indigenous projects. If it actually pulls off some of the stuff that's in there, particularly the parking ratio, if they can build this and only need 800 spaces, Wow, that's going to have a huge impact around the world. That that's a parking ratio for a, a scale of development like that, where indeed you would be looking at places like Hong Kong and Singapore. But, but, there, but uh, I'm yeah, go ahead. it's not so much I'm skeptical. It's I'd sure like to see see the rationale laid out on how that's going to work. It, it speaks to a carless society, and and I, I, you know someone would say, well, that's way too early when you have 886 uh, car parking spots for 10,000 people. Yeah, um, I don't know anything like that. that that's just a huge uh, gap, as it were, between the ratios that we have for the other mega projects around Falls Creek. Now they're the ones digging. that we would like to get to. Yeah. You know, but the ones that you have to expect, you're going to have to accommodate. Uh, well, what's the number? I don't think it's about 800. <laughs> the, the, and, and that's the thing. Would, would this have been built? Would this have been built if this was Vancouver City land, the way it's being proposed right now? Would this have been well, approved? You, you mean the gatekeepers? Yeah. Yes, the gatekeepers. Yeah. No, that's exactly what that is. Uh, Paul Yev is right. If you don't have a gatekeeper, in other words, if you don't have a kind of democratic accountability, you don't have to get it through a city council or, or something, uh, some mechanism which determines the use of the land for the community in general, of course you can do this. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can see that's such an, uh, an incredible question that's being asked. If, if indeed our city was to be developed on this model, then it's, it's basically out of the hands of the citizens who would be expected nonetheless to pay the taxes. And I just don't see anyone doing that. Have they in the past talked about, you were talking about the West End, we're going to build, not just West End, other parts of the city where it said we're going to build some towers, but we're going to build with less parking spots because oh, yeah. we want to get to a carless society. Yeah, I can tell you a great story. I moved into one of the first buildings on Concord, mm-hmm. and there was two units, uh, two parking spaces per unit. And after the building was completed in a few years, they went down and counted the number of spaces actually being used, and it was about half of that. And so based upon those observations, you know, real-life examples, yes, the, the subsequent parking ratios have been dropped. And and it, it, they have dropped, but in the past, have they not had to go back and build parking garages? Well, the most interesting case is the South Shore of Falls Creek, and that truly was utopian. They did likewise something very similar. They assumed that if they provided transit 
and it was a walkable, you know, as we would say today, community, that you wouldn't need as much parking <laughs> as we traditionally did. And by gosh, it turned out that without transit, because they never really did get the amount they needed, uh, you have to build parking. And they, so they went back. There are two parking garages on the southern border of the south shore of False Creek, where you can see that uh, the parking was provided after the fact. The question for Sanok, though, is much more challenging. If, if that was the case, if it turned out there's a need for more parking, where are you going to build it and who's going to pay? More importantly, I think the question is relevant for the Concord Pacific Brewery site adjacent to Sanok. Are, will they have the same ratio? And in the case of Sanok, if it works, why wouldn't they? If it doesn't, will they be expected, though, to cover some of the overflow from the Sanok development? Do you think uh, the, in a Squamish First Nation, um, the, as Hale said, they are going to consult, but they've already started uh, clearing the land. Uh, he has told us that in a couple of years, you probably have the first tower up. Uh, so they're moving forward. The crane's not there, but they're moving forward. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about the uniqueness of this. I mean, First Nations communities have a, an absolute, absolute right to build an economic yeah. base for themselves, yeah, just absolutely. like us non-First right. Nations have done. But do you, do you see a tension there? I mean, I'm... Oh, yeah. It, I mean, I just... Uh, <laughs> you can look around and see the results. Yeah. So uh, this is not... This is nothing, in the sense, new in that we haven't had examples of this before. And there are really some outstanding examples. The Okanagan Band, in particular, uh, the wine, tourism, all of the rest that's been developed in this, uh, you know, Soyuz, Oliver area. And, and there are other examples around the province, and there will be many, many more. This is where reconciliation meets capitalism. And it, and it turns out that it actually seems to work pretty well. I think that's the reason you're getting so much, uh, you know, across the board support for it politically. So, you know, done deal. But it does build on what the city has done in, the, you know, around Falls Creek for about half a century. This is a variation on the Concord Pacific development, uh, even the Olympic Village. It's not like we haven't built high-density residential before. This takes it, though, scales it up a lot, and it lowers the bar as far as the amenities that have to be provided. There won't be the open space the school. There won't be the degree. Uh, better be careful here. This may all be revised. I think it will. But the amount of retail you're going to need, and it certainly doesn't have what is going to be needed in the way of transit at this point. Now, the talk is all there, and this is what I think they're going to be consulting on. What are we going to need practically now to handle those 10,000 people and the Concord development? And uh, let's face it, development is going to go up Burrard Street in the way we've seen on Canby. There will be a lot, and, and the SkyTrain is being built with some intent to accommodate it. But making the connections down to Sanak, and what happens if that doesn't work, how people get on and off the Burrard Bridge, just even in terms of cycling infrastructure, this is a pretty major commitment. We, in that sense, it's very exciting. And if it works, this is going to be amazing and fabulous. No question, this would be a big advancement for the city. But uh, if they're going to do consultation, they're going to have to start laying out the specifics on how that's going to be done and, and who pays. I think there's a tenth million amount on the books for the streetcar line. Mm-hmm. You know, ten million bucks is not a lot of money. If you actually had to build underground parking, you'd get about 200 units. Uh, so there's some really big bucks that are going to be on the table, and 
from the service agreement, I don't see any specifics around that. My, so negotiations to come, I think. Gordon, you raised prior to the break um, the issue of retail and schools and parks, and, and it would have been a different type of development with the city of Vancouver. Um, do you worry about the tension that could come from this? Not just at Sinoc, you, you one could argue that the Tawasan First Nations, which is the first urban treaty signed in British Columbia under Gordon Campbell, that you're seeing some of that over the in that development as well. It's not just the mall; yeah, it's 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 the point. housing that comes from it with it as well. And a lot of that, I mean, there's going to be some amenities, but a lot of that is going to spill over to Delta, which is not going to be collecting those taxes. Right. I, yeah, I think the, the larger question is how we, you know, as I say these days, have the conversation if people are really fearful about talking or addressing. Uh, I think so, uh, yeah, the Swanson example. In fact, I've noticed right from the beginning. Uh, this is a case under the you know modern treaty negotiated with Gordon Campbell, where they basically did like uh, the Squamish Reserve have the right to do what they wanted on it. Now, again, subject to negotiation for service provision. So what they chose to do on this plan, uh, you know, you'll see it going on to the ferry in Swanson, is to pave it over. They paved over their part of the Pacific Flyway, and, and in my mind, immediately uh, it struck me that you can't at the same time talk about land defenders that the gap between uh, what you're saying, what you're asking us to understand is the indigenous lands, and and Sawasan Mills is just too great. But I get where you're coming. I get where you don't talk about it. Yeah, I get where the same thing might happen in this case. I get people are scared to talk about it. I get where you're coming from when you guys are putting a shopping mall. But if you're going to take land out of the ALR so they can build an economic base for their community, I live next door to that mall in this other other clear cut called Tawasan. And and so you know, don't call yourself land defenders. (laughs) No, seriously. You can't. That is from uh, but a do, variety of But non-First Nations who live in the city of Vancouver call themselves land defenders. They also well, say they right. defend them. They're environmentalists. Yeah. I mean, so likewise with Sanak, it if you're saying that it's basically how Indigenous people... Well, you're asking us to believe that concrete high-rises has some kind of connection. It's, it's just a gap that's too great. So look, I totally get this as an economic development project and as a trailblazer on some forms of how to build communities and provide for a lot of housing, rental housing, hopefully more affordable housing. That's huge. Tremendous benefit. I think it's why, you know, Mayor Stewart before said, you know, a gift to the city. And that can all be true. But at the same time, no, I don't buy the argument that there is something so special that its deficiencies can't and having a transparency about it at the same time. If it's, if it's feared that crit- criticism of it constitutes some kind of, uh, well, fill-in word, uh, it, it is hard to talk about. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think that is where the danger is, is that the, the frustration, in a sense, that it builds because you're, you're not getting straightforward. Well, how do you say? I think at this point it's too early to judge. My guess is there will be revisions to Sanoc. I, th- I think, you know, once its issues are identified, then exactly, you, you, this is what reconciliation means in a practical way. And I think the same thing will be true, uh, is being true, actually. I think we're seeing some good examples around the, the city elsewhere, uh, Heatherlands, uh, Jericho, that kind of thing. So uh, every reason to still remain optimistic, if somewhat a little cynical, you got to say, I see some of the way this is being marketed. Bill, it's not so much that it is a new way of doing things, but it builds on it. But you've got to recognize as well that it does lower the bar 
as far as mega project standards, again, I think that's just an honest statement. It isn't going to meet the park space. It doesn't have these other factors that went into the development of Concord Pacific. Yeah. The city extracted a huge amount of public benefit out of that. Yeah, Gordon, we've, we've, we've run out of time, but I promise to have you on again because I think this is a very important conversation to have. Thank you once again for your time, Gordon. And thank you, Giles.